Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. Blockchain technology can be anything. That's what they're doing. They're here to support other women, and they are supporting themselves in the process. They said 70% of Latin Americans are underbanked or unbanked. 51% are using crypto. And we actually have a country, Iceland, who is at 90% parity. And guess what they have? 12 months maternity leave. Isn't that gorgeous? Women, do you want to wait 132 years to have a year maternity leave? I don't. Go from can't to can. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. Welcome to Women Who Web 3. It's your girl, Cams. On this week's show, we're graced with the presence of Jenny Q. Ta. You have to listen in. She is a three-time founder with three successful exits and a veteran of Wall Street, a self-made millionaire and seasoned entrepreneur with three successful early ventures to her credit. As founder and CEO of Titan Securities, a full-service broker, dealer, and investment banking firm, Ms. Todd built a company that was profitable to be acquired in 2005, and her next two entrepreneurial endeavors included masterminding two modern tech companies, VCNetwork.co, a virtual eHarmony meets Shark Tank, matching entrepreneurs with VCs and CoinLinked.com, which is an American online social commerce platform powered by a decentralized blockchain solution to connect the traditional markets of today with the digital currencies of tomorrow. And these two more recent ventures were solidly grounded in Jenny's rich business background, which includes first-hand experience in senior executive management, sales, marketing, and finance with forays into the fintech industry and an exploration of the opportunities that cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and other distributed ledger technologies afford. Jenny is a published author whose book, Wall Street Cinderella, details her escape from Vietnam during the war and traces her path to success from welfare to Wall Street. Now that's a title. This book serves as a helpful roadmap for women who are determined to pursue a successful career in business, just like Jenny. Welcome, Jenny. Well, thank you so much, Cam. It's an honor to be here with you and Coindesk. Greatly appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for being here, especially between all the commitments you have. 
Speaking of that, Jenny, wow, a three-time founder, Wall Street, from welfare to Wall Street, what gets you up in the morning? Well, you know, I have a one, two, three, four situation. Number one, serial entrepreneurs like myself, you can't wake up without any passion. You can't do anything without any passion. Number two, obviously, is goals. We have to have goals. And usually those sorts of uh, goals, people would say, you know what, Jenny, you're crazy. You're mad. You know, but the more they say that, the more we know that we are on the right path. And obviously, serial entrepreneurs to billionaires, success is key. Every day they wake up is basically a new smell of success, whatever they're going to dive into that day. And the fourth one, which most people tend to forget or or not consider, is actually routine. Having a routine, a well-established morning routine that helps them start the day off on the right foot is key. That could be anything from exercising, meditation, or any other activities that could help them feel energized and focus. Those are the key. Wow, Jenny. I'm curious, actually, what is your morning routine, especially as a a veteran of Wall Street and a self-made millionaire? Yeah, well, you know, my routine, which I try to keep 90% of the time because I'm a builder. Uh, We're in Web3 and we're building things. I'm currently building. I just launched my fourth company, which is Web3 VC Funds, where I lead a pool, P-O-O-L, a pool of funds that's around $25 million dollars to invest into Web3 projects only. That's my fourth company that I co-founded and I lead, uh, which is another word is uh, a general partner. And then my fifth company, which I haven't yet publicized, is actually an AI Web3 project. So that one, it's currently on beta right now. So it's by invite only, and it's a very small niche of folks who know about that. So that's my fifth company. But my routine really is pretty much depending on if I'm up late with the builders, which would be developers, coders, front and back end to maybe three or four o'clock in the morning, then that may break my routine the following morning because then I'll be sleeping. I, I Okay, the number one routine you got to get a minimum of six hours sleep. That's the number one routine. So that means that if I go to sleep at four or five in the morning, I have to add six hours to that because you got to get your sleep. But normally 90% of the time I would be in bed by 1 a.m., get my six hours of sleep. Uh, So I'll be up up like around seven, seven seven-ish to eight. And then normally I take an hour out. We have uh, a sauna at my home. I have a sauna. So I turn off all the phones and everything. I hop inside the sauna and sit in there for 30 to 45 minutes. That's my meditation, right? So I I meditate in the sauna. And then when I get out, it depends if there are calls and I hop on calls. If not, then uh, I do a quick run around the neighborhood, my neighborhood. uh, And then that starts my day, you know, so... I think the most clear uh, when I sit in the sauna and I run and then once when I get back to the home office or office, whatnot, or meetings, that's when I know that uh, I'm fully energized and I'm totally focused for that giving day. Wow. As a huge advocate of mindfulness, especially meditation, I know it looks different for everyone, but I love that your morning routine 
incorporates both the mind and the body, taking mm-hmm. care of both things. Wow, AI plus Web3. This is so AI is just such a huge topic, Jenny. What are your thoughts about AI when people are like, oh my gosh, AI is going to replace people? And what are your thoughts on building that synergy between AI and Web3? Well, I believe last year, the buzzword was Web3. And then especially in the venture capital world, which I am one, I'm an angel investor uh, slash VC slash GP, which is general partner. But this year, the funny thing is, if any startup founders out there were to send a deck or pitch a VC investor like myself, and they use the buzzword Web3 solo by itself, you're not going to get picked up. Okay, so Web3 is kind of behind us, which is interesting. But if you add AI to Web3, now that's a new thing. It's the new dual uh, buzzword. Now, there's such thing as decentralized AI models, right? Decentralized AI models can create and deploy on a Web3 network, allowing the use cases such as decentralized prediction markets and AI power. Now, that's that's the buzzword, AI power, decentralized finance, which CAMs, you and I, in the crypto space are familiar with the term DeFi, right? So I am that close to squealing my fifth project to you. But currently, obviously, with OpenAI, I know there is a battle between the billionaires right now. We all heard Elon Musk and a hundred other folks are kind of like asking the, the AI builders to slow things down. Whereas Bill Gates, who through Microsoft funded OpenAI, which is a very strange thing because Elon Musk co-founded OpenAI. But now it seems Bill Gates and Microsoft are controlling OpenAI through their funded, uh, I believe they put in uh, 10 billion, if not more already. Uh, And Bill Gates say, no, we're not going to stop. You know, we're going to keep going. And so that's an interesting area. But then on the other side, while Elon said to stop, But then he just launched a company to compete against OpenAI. So all these things is such a huge mess between the billionaires. But as ordinary startup founders like myself and others, my advice would be, you know what, just keep going. If your passion is there, everything else, just the noise, let the billionaires, you know, uh, debate on uh, by themselves and you continue to build AI or Web3 and, and, and to scale our crypto space further because obviously we need it. Yes, interesting insights, especially on the billionaire debate that's going on right now. I think that shocked a lot of people when Microsoft was like, here goes 10 billion for AI. Maybe not so shocking because he's usually at the cutting edge of most technologies. But Jenny, something I'm really curious about, we brought up angel investing and venture capitalists. With your extensive background in finance and investing, whether it's angel or VC, What advice would you give our audience on identifying promising startups in the Web3, AI, DeFi, and DAO space? That's a great, great question. Basically, as a serial uh, 3X founder, serial entrepreneur 3X founder, I've been an angel investor and a VC now for at least six to seven years. And I've been asked this question quite a bit, but kind of different each time. And that's why it's important. Investors like myself look at 
the due diligence or the ways to invest in crypto projects or Web3 projects different from that of a traditional project. Like, for example, our uh, Coinbase, right? Coinbase is in our sector. Coinbase is crypto, but they went public. So my Wall Street friends, which uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, they were all underwriters of Coinbase. Do those guys look at Coinbase differently than if they were to look at a Facebook or an Uber or an Airbnb when those companies went public? My simplest answer would be no, we don't. A company is a company, regardless if they're in um, Web3, if they're in uh, decentralized finance, whatnot. Investors or underwriters or venture capitalists like myself, we look at a company for its potential. For me personally, the number one thing I've always said is I bet on the jockey. So Cam, say if you were to be a startup founder, I would bet on you first. Right. I would go out and I would, you know, probably grab lunch with you and whatnot to see if you and I jive is the word, you know, are we going to click? Because investing in a startup, which is like a CEO or founder like yourself, it's like a marriage. Right. So you got to make sure you get along. You've got that's why you, you've heard stories like in in Silicon Valley, some large VCs like A16Z or Sequoia, they tend to have a relationship, you know, now let's just say between Sequoia and Sam Bankman Freed, which is FTX, they tend to have long, you know, many times walking around the neighborhood to talk. Okay, you, you've probably heard about VC tends to let's take a walk, they get to know each other. Because you know, one of these day camps, if we have more time, I can give you the dark side of VC. Okay, the, there's the dark side of VC back to your question is that some of the number one things that investors look into startups to scale big is bet on the jockey. Number two is the product you are building are hot. Like for example, are you building AI right now? If you're building AI, most investors are probably going to jump in without doing much due diligence just because you hit the right buzzword. And then number three is how large that sector, okay? For example, one of the top sectors I'm looking at right now is the fashion industry. Uh, digital fashion is picking up. It was funny. A couple of days ago, Elon Musk was on Twitter spaces and he sent out a tweet about digital fashion. Now, the man is quite odd, right? He's all over the map. You can hardly read him, even if you try to read him. But yes, he did tweet about digital fashion two to three times now, all of a sudden. So uh, digital fashion, um, to those who are not, uh, uh, who, who were not involved yet, um, uh, earlier this year, when Elon Musk Tesla stock dropped to $103, Elon became the second richest man in the world. Now, who was the richest man in the world? His name is Banar Anot. Okay, Banar Anot. And he is the CEO of a group called LVMH. LVMH includes 75 fashion and cosmetic brands, including Louis Vuitton. So the fashion industry right now is a three trillion dollar sector. So as an investor, I love investing in projects 
that the sector is that ginormous, which is in the trillion of dollars. Join Coindesk Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th to the 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event, bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer. Creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code WEB3WOMEN to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. I feel like you're dropping so much knowledge. Oh my goodness, that people should be paying for it. <laughs> Jenny, this is incredible. And we've had a couple of people from, I think, LVMH um, come in and chat with us on the Twitter spaces at Coindesk. Their perspectives are so different. Fashion is really huge. We've been talking to some fashion designers in the Web3 space. We see people, literally people purchasing tons of ether of, of just to change their avatar into the, the hottest clothing. Um, there's a lot going on in the fashion sector. So I appreciate you bringing up what you guys look at as investors. That was one of the other questions that I was considering asking was, is it different from traditional companies, Web3 investing versus web two. So thank you for touching on that. Something I'm super curious about, and you've shared a lot about your story. You came from Vietnam. It was war-torn when you had left. Can you describe like what was that journey like from, as you mentioned, from welfare to Wall Street? How did you get into Wall Street from coming from Vietnam? Wow, that's a powerful question. And I know we're uh, limited in timing, so I'm going to give you the shortest version as possible. I will start out with this. I believe in faith, uh, both kinds of faith, uh, F-A-T-E kind, kinds of faith and F-A-I-T-H uh, kinds of faith. Um, so I came uh, as a boat person, which is uh, an immigrant. My mom, my brother and I escaped on a boat. We went through the, you know, I, I stay in Hong Kong. It's a refugee camp. Uh, and then I had an uncle here uh, in America who sponsored us over. Most people who don't have families here, they tend to be sponsored by the church. You know, this is around uh, 1975. From 1975 was the fall of Saigon to about 1980. So I was more towards the, the 80s. And I was a few years old when we escaped on the boat. So I don't remember much except, you know, what my mother told me. And basically, when we got here to America, I was raised here since I was five in America. And how do I get into Wall Street? Well, I, I ran through life very quickly, learned English as a second language, got picked on a lot when I was in elementary school, high school. You know, I was raised on welfare. I wore secondhand clothes, shoes that don't fit, uh, clothing that uh, my mom bought from the Salvation Army. And the thrifty stores, uh, those who are on low income, you're aware of those two stores. Two until I graduated at a, a local college, uh, uh, just a Cal State college, three years. And uh, I went to Silicon Valley. So went to Silicon Valley and just like any newly graduate, just sent out a bunch of resumes. And uh, Shearson Lehman Brothers hired me as a uh, new accounts clerk. Uh, they pay me just 10 bucks an hour at the time. And basically, it was there that I met my first mentor. He was 
the largest producing brokers at that office, which is downtown San Jose. Basically, to give you the quickest version, after he talked to me for the first time and asking for my goals, I was 20 at the time. And uh, he basically told me to quit. Yes, he told me to quit. That was my first job. And this guy who I now look back at that time, I did not understand. But now looking back, you know, he was so on point. He said, Jenny, if, if you wanted to be as wealthy as I am, because he asked me, what do I want to be? And I say, sir, I would love to be as wealthy as you because I knew how much money he was making because I was working in operation and I knew he was making six figure a month, a month. Yes. And oh, so goodness. and not just a hundred thousand. I'm talking about like two, a quarter of a million dollar a month. Uh, this man was producing. So I knew that. And so I say, sir, when I grow up, I would love to make as much money as you. And then from there, he said, Jenny, if so, then you got to quit because you are a female, you're Asian. There's no way that you can climb the corporate ladder on Wall Street, right? So I did quit two weeks later. I gave my two weeks notice. I moved from Silicon Valley down to Southern California. And I was adamant, again, you know, back to my my initial four points, you know, of the routines and success and goals and passion. So I went to the library at that time. There was not a lot of internet yet. And I learned how to form a broker-dealer. A broker-dealer is an investment banking firm. From there is history. I learned I took all the licenses, Series 7, Series 63, 24, you name it. And I launched my first startup, my first founded investment banking firm when I was just 21, 20, uh, 2021, I became a self-made millionaire by the time I was 25, around 24, 25. And that first startup got acquired by the time I was 26, 27. And then that took me to where I'm at today. Oh my goodness. What an incredible story. It does feel like a fairy tale, like a modern day fairy tale. And you're still continually founding and continuing to push forward. And you're right in the heart of what's going on right now, going into AI. I wonder what your mentor would say now. <laughs> As an angel, I wonder what he would say. But it's crazy the power of mentorship on a person, especially as a mentor, you don't really know what impact you're going to make on someone. Is this advice going to make or break them? Are they just going to ignore it or whatever? And you went full forward. Wow. Speaking of mentorship, Jenny, as a mentor and supporter of startups, what are the key ingredients? Because you mentioned you mentioned what you look for as an investor, but what are the key ingredients for a successful company, you think, in Web3? Um, for someone who's building on Ethereum, for example, and how do you typically approach mentoring founders or those people who want to get to, for example, be a Jenny? Uh, well, I've, I've shared my four points. Uh, these are uh, different points in terms of being a mentor. And I am an active mentor in the Silicon Beach, which is the uh, Santa Monica area. I uh, have a lot of friends there, uh, lots of VC friends there within that area. So at one point prior to COVID, I was mentoring up to almost 15 startups. Yeah. So some of them kind of like after COVID, things changed quite a bit. But here are the points when it comes to mentors, mentoring startups, uh, and what startup founders should really uh, use these key ingredients so that they can scale their companies 
to unicorn statuses. Now, right before you asked me the question, you did mention that I didn't stop. I could retire. I mean, I retired twice already. With my last exit, I could just literally like shut all my social media accounts and just go to Bali and then I'll be done. So financially wise, I'm content, right? But the reason why I'm still back at it with my fourth company and then my fifth AI company is because I still wanted that unicorn, okay? And in order to get to that unicorn, I do know the path. Now, myself as a female founder, that path to a unicorn status is a little bit more difficult than that of a male founder, especially white men, okay? But uh, that's another subject. But that doesn't mean that you can't get there. I mean, the CEO of Bumble, the, the dating app, there's so many female founders who are billionaires. So I know that I have the path and I know I can do it. And that fifth project, maybe I have everything that can take me to that unicorn status. It's not about money. It's not it just, it, again, it's about passion and it's how badly I want it. So be uh, going back to answering your question, here are some key ingredients uh, for founders to be successful. Basically, as mentors, uh, we have the knowledge and the expertise to help, especially first or second time founders, especially if you haven't uh, had an exit yet or you ran companies, but you know you fail a couple of times, you definitely need mentors. The experience and expertise is key. Most founders say, oh, you, I know everything. I don't need your help. Well, that's wrong. Okay. Drop that egotism down a few notches. Two heads are better than one. I recently coined a term that I said two bank accounts are better than one because someone was asking me, uh, well, Jenny, you're so wealthy. Why do you still seek funding for your startup? Right. My answer was, look, if the richest man in the world, which is Elon Musk, seeks funding to acquire Twitter, he didn't use all his money, then anyone who are out with a startup and a founder, you should not use your money to fund your startup. You can use it to start it, but you should seek funding because besides funding, there are the brains behind the money that's coming in that two heads are better than one. You don't want to run your startup by yourself. So again, experience and expertise feedback and accountability is also important. Now, we look at the Sam Bankman-Fried FTX situation, the stories I've read from Coindesk, from Forbes, crypto, from other media uh, outlets. The guy was basically in his own zone, okay? He didn't talk, and I don't know how that ever happened. So did he get feedback? Did he get accountability? Hindsight now, we probably can presume that he didn't because if he got feedback from Sequoia, or all of the VCs, the large VCs that invested in him, obviously they have experience. He may not be where he's at today. And that's called a accountability. The next few things, of course, is connections and networking. That's very, very key when you are a startup founder. And then there is this other thing. The other two to three things that people forget is emotional support, encouragement. Now, you've heard in Silicon Valley, Bay Area, I'm not sure, there is data out there that a lot of uh, startup founders commit suicide, okay? So mental health is key. And the final things are that perspective 
and the insight from the mentors. Just like how I share, I would not do another startup now if the sector is in the billions of dollars. I would only do startups now if the entire sector is in the trillions of dollars now. And as an investor or a VC, I would probably not invest in startups that are within a sector that's in 10 billion or even 100 billion. I don't because to me now, that is just too small as the global economy now is in the trillions of dollars now, no longer billions. So I hope that those hopes. Uh, I I just wish, and Michelle knows this about me and my listeners know this about me. I was a founder before. I would call it a failed founding. I learned a lot from the lesson, but the company didn't go anywhere. And I wish I had a mentor like you. What would you say, you brought up so many, so many beautiful stories, uh, especially pertaining to your personal journey. But as a woman, what advice do you have for the women listening who might be considering an idea for a startup or considering making the leap into finances from wherever they are? What advice do you have to them, especially on acquiring mentorship? Gotcha. Female founders, now the data out there has been six or seven years now, we only get to receive 2% of the entire funding pie. So 98% of a global ventures uh, would go to male founders. Female founders, there's only 2%. So when you look at such data, you know, and I'm a female founder, of course, all my life, I don't want female founders to give up you know, like say, wow, just 2%. So, but the thing is the phrase cams, I'm sure uh, you've heard is move fast and break things. It's the traditional Silicon Valley's phrase from the boys club, you know, move fast, break things. So as a female founder or female founders, when they come to me and ask for advice, they would say, well, Jenny, we only have 2%. Uh, How can we move fast and break things? True. Without funding, it's very difficult to move fast and break things. But then here's what I would give them as my advice. If you are a female founder out there, at least it's 2%. It's not 0%. Okay, so why do you need to look at the pessimism side instead of the optimism? So as a startup founder, as an entrepreneur, uh, you have to look at the optimism. Now, that's what I'm looking at right now. To me, I wake up every day and I say, Jenny Ta, you should be in that 2% and you will have that 2% to scale your company to unicorn statuses, right? And so that's what I mentor female founders is that don't look at 2% as 2%, but look at the 2% is all that you have and you need to get your foot in there because you can, because it's not 0%. If it's 0%, then yes, we're screwed, right? But there's 2%. Believe in yourself, build a strong support system, seek out funding and resources. Again, VCs, investors, never stop, never, ever stop. If you get turned down a thousand times, okay, there will be that 1,001 time Who's going to give you that check? Never stop. So imagine if you stop at that 1,000th time because everybody keeps shutting you down. How do you know that next one wouldn't be that check? So never stop. Build a diverse team. Embrace failure, just like you've shared camps. You embrace failure of your first startup. 
as a learning opportunity and always stay focused on your mission and values. And at the end, you can celebrate your success or plural, your successes like myself, even if those successes were not unicorn statuses yet, because that unicorn status is around the corner. That would be some of my advice as a mentor to female founders. God, I have the chills. That's so powerful. And you brought up so many things that speak towards confidence, the growth mindset. You're not a unicorn startup yet. You don't have funding yet. Just adding that yet at the end inspires the growth mindset where instead of stopping and remaining stale, you keep going. And I believe we both maintain those mindsets. One last question, Jenny, as it pertains to women, we talked about how VCs do the let's take a walk culture. And we understand why that there's so many reasons that 2% is a 2%. And one of those reasons is that most VCs and investors are men. And so they relate, they see someone who looks like them, and they're more willing to give them funding, especially because they have to like them, as you had mentioned, and you get to know them. What is your advice to women who are VCs or who are angel investors in increasing that 2% to 3 to 5 to 50% to 100% parity in the future? That is a great question. And I'm going to give an answer you know, I don't want to be biased because I am a female founder, which I could be, but I won't. And I'll answer it this way. Now, common sense, if we were to not look at gender, just look at a person as an investor, right? A woman or a man, don't look at their gender, but look at them as an investor. When we write a check, to make an investment, buying Bitcoin, buying Ethereum, Dogecoin, or investing in Coinbase when it went to IPO or Uber, or Airbnb. What is the number one goal as an investor? Is to make money. Exactly, right? So if we were to drop the gender on the side, okay, all human beings, when it comes to investing, buying homes or whatever, we want every dollar we put in, we want it to double, triple, so that's understandable. True, 98%, the majority of VCs out there, actually women VCs are growing, the data is growing, uh, but majority are still men investors. But then here's the thing. I was on a woman's panel just a few weeks ago uh, in, in Santa Monica, and we did talk about this where the data of female investors are growing in leaps and bounds, okay? But why... Does the 2% investment in female still stagnated at 2%? Clearly shows, okay, that even there are more female investors, they are still investing in male founders, right? So at the end of the day, here's my take for female um, investors or VCs out there like myself. Number one, okay, when I lead a fund, when I write checks from my own pocket as a limited partner into other funds that they've asked me, Jenny, can you be a limited partner in our fund? I'm fine with that. My number one question is, do you or your fund invest at least 85% of that money into female founders or at least founders that has a co-founder who is a female? If the answer is no, then I'm going to keep my money back. Okay, so that's how I do it. 
So we do have to put pressure. I've had requests from a lot of funds that asked me to be a limited partner. And at the end of the day, they, you know, they only invest in male founders. So if that's the case, that's out of my boundary. I'm going to keep the money. Uh, yes, there are gems. I mean, needles in a haystack, okay, for female founders who are of the caliber to get to unicorn statuses. But with training, with mentorship, with funding, we can get more females funded and so they can scale uh, their startup appropriately and get unicorn statuses. So that's my advice. Thank you so much, Jenny. This has been such a wonderful show. Thank you so much for all of your incredible advice. We're going to end with let everybody know where to find you. And then if you'd be so kind, if you'd like to, you can join the two-minute mindfulness exercise at the end. I lead every show a two-minute mindfulness exercise to help relieve stress and to clear the mind, whatever person needs in their day to take a break. And where can we find you? Uh, well, again, once again, thank you so much, CAMS, and uh, to the Coindesk team for this opportunity. I am quite active on Twitter, obviously, the Web3 space. Twitter is the place to be. Everyone can find me and my DMs. Uh, my DMs is always open, but my Twitter handle is JQT. Of course, that's Jenny Utah, but it's just my initial JQT underscore Web3VC. Drop me a DM. I almost always respond to everybody. She does. Yeah. And uh, and, <laughs> and uh, I am quite active. And sometimes I even give, uh, uh, you know, mentorship via DMs too. So if you catch me at the right time, I will be there uh, to help you, especially uh, with female founders. Oh, I'll definitely be in your DMs, Jenny. We're going to skip over now to the meditation section of our show to close out. I've been wanting to do this exercise for a while, but haven't had a chance to. Just like Jenny, just like myself, as a mom especially, we have very limited time in our day. And to maximize our time, we can engage in mindfulness while we're doing something else. And now, so something I want you to consider is mindful eating. So that's something we're going to do. And mindful eating is really taking care to jump into the meditative state while you're eating and still getting that rest for your mind while nourishing the body. And so um, the next time you eat, and it can be, you can even listen and, and rest right now, but the next time you eat, think about this exercise and do it. And it could be something you're cooking or something you grabbed, you know, to eat at a restaurant or fast food. But let's get settle into the space, find a seated position. The spine is tall, shoulders are relaxed. Let's take a nice deep breath in through our nose and exhale slowly through the mouth. I like to sigh the breath out. It just kind of relaxes the entire body. Another breath just like that in through the nose and sigh the breath out slowly. Good. As always, put attention on the body, relax the eyebrows, the crown of the head relaxes. Release the jaw. We hold a lot of tension in the jaw. And be mindful of softening the belly, the back. Let everything relax. You deserve a break. Now, 
whenever you have a moment, let's say you're microwaving something, you're filling your glass up with water and you have to wait for the water dispenser. Let's say you're making cereal or something for your kids. Regardless of whatever you're doing, when it comes to food or preparing a meal, because we have to eat, you can take the chance to breathe. Now, if you're eating, I want you to be mindful of how you eat. What are you eating? What does it smell like? What does it look like? What feelings or thoughts does it bring up for you? Just notice those feelings and thoughts and keep focusing on the breathing and the eating. If you're cooking your meal, listen to the sizzle of your ingredients cooking in the pan or the soups or sauces that are boiling. All of these sounds can be meditative. And when you eat your meal, chew slowly, savor each bite. Imagine it traveling down the body, nourishing your body, sending protein, sending the good fats, sending the good carbs to your body, energizing you for the day. When we put good intention into our food and what we eat and what we consume, we can receive good energy from them regardless. If you're beating yourself up about a donut you're eating, then it might manifest in a different way as stress. Let yourself have that donut if you want, if you can. And just imagine it fueling the body. As you finish your meal, try to savor all the flavors. As you're pouring your water, your drink, or you're enjoying your coffee or tea, enjoy how the liquid feel traveling down the body, whether it's warm or cold. And while you do this, remember to turn off your screens or put them away, just focusing on the moment, the now, what you're doing. And I guarantee you, the next time you eat or drink something, if you can take some deep breaths, it's a really great way to build that mindfulness routine to invite relaxation and peace into your life. If you're closing your eyes, slowly flutter the eyes open. Come join us back, wiggle the fingertips and come back to the space. And thank you for joining the meditation. Wow. Thank you so much, Cam. I was literally closing my eyes and was following your words. And it's like I'm floating on cloud nine or something. I mean, that was amazing. I've never done that before, by the way. Wow, Jenny, I'm so honored. And I cannot wait for it to come out and for everyone to hear your incredible advice. Thank you for joining this this mindfulness section. Maybe next time you're in a sauna, you can take some breaths. But I want to thank everyone for listening to Women Who Web 3. You can find us on the Coindesk Podcast Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Cams. Thank you for learning and growing with us. You've been listening to Women Who Web 3 with host Kamala Ancantara. This show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Executive producer is Jared Schwartz. Our theme song is All Night Long by Lunera. Cams would love to hear from you. You can reach out to her at Cams, K-A-M-Z, at womenwhoweb3.com or podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Women Who Web 3. Thanks for listening.